Hello, Fight Fans. It is Thursday, March 22nd, and this is the Fistionados Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rakowski, former HBO Sports Marketing Executive, giving you my take on what's happening on your screen and behind the scenes in the sport of boxing. And just so I can get us get this out of the way early, give me a follow on Twitter at Fistinados Pod. I'm tweeting fairly regularly about the sport of boxing in, in terms of the business side of it. That's the stuff I love. There's been a lot happening recently, so I've actually been pretty active. I do have a full-time job, as I've said before in this podcast, uh, but that will not stop me. I, I will tweet anything I find interesting and happy to respond to anyone out there. Uh, let's get started this week reviewing the fights first from March 10th and then March 17th. So March 10th, Oscar Valdez uh, wins a decision over Scott Quigg and events says for the draw with Eric DeLeon. Um, there were some weight concerns with the Scott Quigg Oscar Valdez fight. I think other people have covered this pretty well. Steve Kim did a great story on it. You know, ESPN actually did, they, they, they covered it pretty well, I felt. Um, look, I wrestled in college. Making weight is tough, especially when there is an injury like that. There is a strong argument to make that Scott Quigg had a big advantage in that fight. It was still a great fight. Let's not let that, you know, take away anything from the actual fight itself. I think there are concerns, though. I think other people are going to do a better job than me on this kind of stuff. I'm not a journalist covering the sport. I will say, if you were injured, which Scott Quigg claims to be, and he has a reputation for training very hard, then I understand that he missed weight by a lot. I understand why he would do that. Um, He usually has a great reputation when it comes to that. I don't want to fault him too much for it. That being said, Oscar Valdez might miss a little bit of an opportunity here. That is a great win, and, and I will get to the TV ratings later with, you know, really good viewership. And he might not fight again this year because of, you know, how grueling of a fight it was. And some of that is on Oscar Valdez and his defense and style, but a lot of that is on Scott Quigg missing weight and being able to walk through some of the punches that he normally wouldn't have been able to walk through. The fight averages 1.1 million viewers. Uh, I thought it was significant. There were two fights instead of three or four, and it was coming on right after the ACC title game. Uh, I will get to that a little bit later. Let's get to the Showtime fights first. Mikey Garcia beat Sergey Lipinets and Kirill Relic. Unanimous decision over Rancis Bartholomew. That averages 618,000 viewers, peaking at 689,000 viewers. So the big takeaways from March 10th. First of all, big win for ESPN. They air it. This is basically exactly what they said they would do when they did the top rank deal. They air the fights right after the ACC tournament. They put on two well-matched fights. I mean, you can be a, a hardcore boxing fan. You know, that the first fight was a draw. At least you can say it was very competitive. It wasn't like some of the other undercards they put on where we know who the winner is before the fight starts. At least you could say it's fairly competitive. Um, 
they did it without a huge marketing push. They hit over a million viewers. I've said it before on the show. If they hit a million viewers for these kind of fights, like sort of their second, their, I don't want to call it their lesser tier, but not their premium stuff, that's a big money maker for ESPN. That's a great, it's win for everybody all around. You saw that in the purses here. Valdez's purse was 400K, 100K to Quig. Now he may have gotten some of the foreign money, I don't know. But when they're paying $500,000 for the two fighters in the main event, it's just a big win. That's It's great for the sport. It's great for top rank. It's great for ESPN. Showtime. They come back down to earth after the Deontay Wilder win. It's, it's not a terrible number for them, but you can see here that Mikey Garcia, he's not really a TV star yet. Superfly 2 on HBO you know, essentially beats these numbers, and that's not something Showtime should be happy with. It's kind of what you get, though, when Mikey Garcia fights a fighter that no one's ever really heard of, and there's not a whole lot at stake. I think the big takeaway is, is Showtime and HBO both, now they have to have an eye on what ESPN is doing. Uh, you just, you can't help but think that if Showtime would have aired this fight on a night when ESPN didn't have a fight on like this, they would have done a much better number. And they do have a lot of mouths to feed, and they came out, they sort of planted their flag early with, with a lot of these dates. But a lot of these fighters now, they're not getting, they're not going to be on as frequently as they should be. And with Showtime's budget in general and the Anthony Joshua situations that are coming up after his fight, which is in two weeks, you know, you got to ask how much of your budget does he chew up and where do certain fighters like Mikey Garcia fit into this, especially as they will likely have other options elsewhere. It's just something to consider. It's just something to consider. On to March 17th. On ESPN, we see Alexander Vazdik, unanimous decision over Mehdi Amar. Jose Ramirez, unanimous decision over Amir Imam. In a, in a really good fight. Michael Conlon, KO2 over David Berna. Um, the show averages 488,000 viewers facing heavy competition from NCAA basketball. You know, what are the takeaways here? Not a great night for ESPN. It kind of comes to the territory. You know, there's a reason this date was available on ESPN, and there's a reason that they weren't going to do a big push behind it. It's, you know, it's really no excuse for a bad rating. And and clearly, St. Patrick's Day is going to be a Michael Conlon thing for years to come. He's always going to face this issue. This issue. Uh, Golovkin and Jacobs. Look, I worked on that pay-per-view last year. They faced the same issue during the NCAA tournament. There's a three-week stretch during the NCAA tournament. There's a few college football weekends that involve some big rivalry and, and title games. And then there's the World Series, and in particular with all that stuff, you just have to avoid you know, your big-ticket items airing in those time windows. It's something pay-per-view has always learned that lesson. You've, 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 face lower sale numbers there, but I think, you know, Showtime does a pretty good job avoiding it in the fall as well. It's a lesson that everyone needs to pay attention to. At the same time, I understand why Top Rank put the fight on. The ESPN date was available. You know, they took it. 
it is what it is. Not a great. Before I get into the deep dive this week, we, there's a tweet from at License to Hustle asking me about what it's like to work on a big fight when it's getting made. How does it? How does that contribute to it getting made? How does it get marketed? That kind of stuff. Uh, I'm gonna address this with its own deep dive that maybe I would have done this week because of the Joshua Parker fight coming up in two weeks, but I'm going to save this. I think that's a European fight, and and I really want to get into the ESPN OTT app this week. So I'm going to save this one. I think this is a great question, um, and maybe in the next show or two I'm going to address this one. But I want to get into the ESPN OTT app here. So... You know, there's even, I saw even some social media complaining about it. I mean, I guess it's not hard to find social media complaining anywhere with boxing. I actually have a really positive take on this for, for all boxing fans. I'm going to start with the bigger picture and then kind of get to how this affects you as a boxing fan and, and hopefully how it's going to make everything a lot cheaper for all the boxing fans out there. I think, I think to start, we all need to realize this is a huge corporate battle between Netflix and Disney. And that's where I want to start. The boxing fans are on the front line of this, but this is something, it's not ever going to go away. And it's Disney's first rollout in their sort of grand strategy of competing with Netflix. It really is. The, the brief history here. So Netflix, one of the things that Netflix does incredibly well, much better than any other sort of content company right now, they have an incredibly sophisticated algorithm. You, Hopefully a lot of you people know this. When I say OTT, I mean over the top. Netflix is sort of the classic example of delivering, you know, a company that delivers programming over the top that you stream it. They start out sort of winning their first major corporate battle over Blockbuster, which kind of ends the DVD era and it starts the streaming era. And Netflix has, they've never really shown any interest in, in getting into sports. In terms of licensed content and now original content, they have the largest market share and they dominate the streaming world. And whether or not you argue that premium networks like HBO, like Showtime, like FX, uh, AMC, will they still have better programming on their air than Netflix? You can argue that, but there is no arguing that Netflix has more programming and that rival networks have essentially been forced to stop taking dollars from Netflix because they're cannibalizing themselves. Netflix spends like $7.5 billion a year on programming, or at least that's a reported number. They're humongous. They have dominated the scene. Uh, Their motto is you watch what you want to watch when you want to watch it. That's why they have not gotten into sports. But... They have such a market share. I mean, they essentially have a larger market share than Time Warner. Um, Disney has responded to that. So 
and even to take a step back on, on why Disney just responded to that, starting around 2015, you start to see a huge shift, and it's especially among younger millennials who are getting rid of their cable subscriptions, which you guys know is cord cutting. I know this is a basic overview, but I feel like it's worthy of doing. You know, the more noticeable trend that's hurting ESPN, and ESPN, I think in 2014, 2015, probably in 100 million households, they're down to like 86, 87 million right now. And what was more noticeable is the trend that the next generation, the generation younger than the sort of younger edge of the millennials, they're not even getting cable and they show no interest in getting it. They basically stream everything. And so Disney realizes they need to react to this. And to dive into what it means for company, for sort of this, one of the substance of Disney, Disney owns ESPN, they own ABC, they own, they own a lot of things, but ESPN is, is their sort of crown jewel. ESPN receives a huge amount of their total operating revenue from affiliate fees. You know, look, HBO essentially has the same issue, and that is why these companies are incredibly slow in reacting to streaming overall. Once you go over the top as a company, your relationship changes with affiliates. You know, essentially you get a guaranteed rate of you know several billion dollars a year from affiliates who carry your program. You know, in Disney to their credit, they finally come up with a plan that has short-term pain, but long-term it really attempts to compete with Netflix. And this is how big Netflix is. Disney has to buy Fox for like 50 or 60 billion with a B dollars in order just to have the library to compete with Netflix. Um, they come up with a plan for two different over-the-top options for customers. One is based on their movie library. And you know, here's the here's the real world example. I subscribe to Netflix right now. I have a two-year-old daughter, essentially, almost two. One of her favorite movies is Moana, which is a Disney movie, but right now it's available on Netflix. Disney is a classic example of someone who is addicted to this revenue stream. Netflix pays to license the movie from them. And Disney essentially is giving content to Netflix. I don't have to have any loyalty to Disney to watch its movie Moana. I just have to subscribe to Netflix. That's all obviously going to change. Um, Disney, they have Star Wars, they have Marvel, they have all these other franchises. So one of their OTT apps is going to be this movie sort of content library that you're going to pay a monthly fee for. The other is sports. So back to ESPN and their sports app. This is sort of like the advanced scout version, so to speak, of what is eventually going to happen with all of ESPN's content. Um, it's why they bought BamTech. It's the reason why this is gonna be incredibly difficult to get into specifics on sports is because sports in general is kind of what's holding together the old school affiliate model. Um, you know, all the incentives are in place 
you know, essentially the reason that network TV still exists right now is the NFL and sports. Um, what ESPN is going to do here in the beginning is do it with niche sports. And this is how ESPN started sort of back in the 1970s and 80s. It's, they, they started going niche and they just acquired a lot of niche sports. And boxing is the perfect thing for this. It's got an audience that's conditioned to pay more dollars for their content. And believe it or not, it's actually, it's a younger audience than you think. It's actually, well, it's extremely diverse, and that's part of the reason why it's younger. It's boxing's audience profiles, especially the younger audience, profiles as the perfect customer who would have, under normal circumstances, gotten cable and been a huge consumer of ESPN, who is now not even getting cable. They are the perfect candidate to subscribe to an ESPN OTT app and, you know, consume boxing, basically. Um, and this is where I think the advantages are going to start to come our way as boxing fans. Um, you know, I'll get to that in a, in a second. But, I mean, the major overall point here is... This isn't ESPN just sort of dipping its toe into the OTT model, like, hey, maybe this will work. This isn't going to be like what HBO Go was a few years back. You know, you still kind of had to subscribe. This isn't, maybe we can make this work with, you know, niche sports or something like that. Reed Hastings from Netflix actually once said that network TV is going to be dead by 2030. And this is really one of the first major steps towards that happening. Um, this is the first test case for can ESPN or can the Walt Disney Corporation on the whole start to become a tech company? Can they figure out how to run an OTT app? And they're going, they're starting small. That's what they're doing. And that's where it comes, it comes our way. I mean, if you think for a second that Disney and ESPN are going to be like, ah, screw it, we're just going to not, we're going to drop this whole app thing. No, I mean, they acquired, they spent 50 or $60 billion acquiring Fox just to do this. This is where content's going in, in general. And they're taking a huge bullet short term. They're, they're facing a lot of short term pain to move into this direction. And right now, you know, Terrence Crawford fighting Jeff Horn, that might be the best thing that they're offering right now. But in some period of time, it might be short. It might be a few years. It might take the duration of some of their contracts with certain major sports to disappear or, or to, to go away or have to be redone or something like that. You're going to see everything on here. You're going to see it all. And, and that's where there's huge advantages for us. Here's how I think this is going to make your life better as a boxing fan. I think you're going to be able to drop your cable subscription, hopefully in 2018. And I mean, if all you care about is boxing, it, it could be 2018. I think there's a big question with this app. Are you going to be able to access all of ESPN's boxing or not? But like I said before, 
we know that where this is going, you will eventually be able to. At worst right now, you can stream Showtime, you can stream this app on ESPN, and I mean, if you have to, you can use YouTube TV for, for ESPN and HBO. You know, memo to HBO, to my former colleagues, you guys know where this is going. We've been talking about it for years. Hopefully 2018 is where you can finally start seeing live boxing on HBO now. Once that happens, and if you do get all of the fights on ESPN through this app, you can probably spend 35 bucks a month and get all the boxing you want, which previously, you can make the argument, yeah, you were spending 30 bucks a month on HBO and Showtime. You're having to spend 100 bucks even before that for m most cases just to get to the point where you can subscribe to, ES to uh, HBO and Showtime. So I think, you know, hopefully your, your cable bill goes down dramatically. Number two, and this may not happen right away, but I think this is going to lower the cost of pay-per-view. It's a, it's a pet peeve of mine. I worked in the industry. I talked about it a few weeks ago on Kurt Adolf's podcast. This is an industry ripe to be remade. It's an industry ripe to be taken over. If, first of all, if you're a boxing fan, you should be rooting hardcore for Amazon to get the UFC. They already are starting to distribute some pay-per-views there. I think someone smart at ESPN who's working on their OTT app or Amazon will figure out very quickly that they can distribute these fights over the top to anyone in America. Certainly with Amazon. I think ESPN can use it to attract customers to their app. They can lower the pay-per-view price somewhere between 30 and 50%, still make money, and, and just destroy the affiliate marketplace. That is easy to do. If ESPN really wanted to get people to sign up for their app, make the Pacquiao-Crawford fight, put it on pay-per-view, distribute it over the app, charge 30 or 40 bucks for it. Maybe even give a credit of like three free months for the for the OTT app. You're gonna instantly have a few hundred thousand people, if not a million people, subscribing for you know to the app you, instantly. And the, here's the dirty little secret: you're not even the fighters get paid the same amount at that point. The whatever happened in the past with the way the affiliates take. Fees off the top. I'm sure there was a time in the 1990s when the affiliates really deserved that large of a cut of the proceeds they got. And yes, it's a wide, you know, there's negotiation and there's a wide range of how they take their their fees. But I don't think they they deserve it now. Um, there's there's almost if you're ESPN or Amazon, there's almost no need to even have. HBO or Showtime as a distributor. I mean, these promoters are going to go whoever, they're just going to go with whoever gets the market share and whoever, if you are, like, here's the case with Amazon. If Amazon decides they want to take this business over, they can do what I just described with ESPN. And because so many people are Amazon Prime members already, they don't even, you don't even need to subscribe to the app. It's just, you just can watch it on Amazon. And yeah, I mean, you should be paying 30 or 40 bucks for that. To pay 70 bucks right now, that's really, <laughs> so much of that fee goes to 
the distributor and more importantly the affiliates it it should disturb you almost as a fan that you're paying that much money and the fighters not receiving a huge you know i mean i guess the fighter is receiving a large cut of it but nothing what they should be like what they should be receiving you know there were times at hbo when a promoter would come in and some big talk about changing this the people who can change this are ESPN or Amazon, and it's through their OTT distribution. When you are OTT, you do not require a cable subscription to distribute the pay-per-view fight. It's really that simple. You can bring the cost down tremendously. They would still make tons of money if they're going in with the right mindset. They can own the marketplace. Why would you ever, even if you subscribe to someplace, like a direct TV or, or, you know, name your cable company. Why would you pay that extra money? Of course, if someone was told you, Oh, you can, you can get the fight for 70 bucks here, or you can get it for 40 bucks at another place. Of course you'll go to the cheaper place. I hope that happens. I think it's right to happen. I hope it happens, you know, and maybe I am optimistic about some of this, and I'm just kind of excited to see this moment come. I've lived in this industry for so long. You know, the other thing here is enjoy enjoy this while it lasts. Because if you think that ESPN is going to be charging you $4.99 a month, like five years from now, <laughs> you are sorely mistaken. Right now, just from the affiliates, they get over $6 a month per customer. And that's from many people who don't watch ESPN regularly. Going back to what I said earlier, that's one of their biggest sources of revenue. This kind of app with all of ESPNs, with with the NBA and Major League Baseball and the NFL on it, this is going to cost 20 or 30 bucks a month with all their big ticket sports items. So for right now, boxing is their big ticket item. And you're going to get it for a fraction of that price. And when the rest of the sporting world catches up to boxing, and yes, that's what you heard that correctly. That's what I'm saying. You're going to pay a lot more for it. Um, you know, the other thing, when it comes to this, lastly, you might ask yourself, why didn't Top Rank, with their extensive library of fights, do what the WWE did and, they, and try to do this on their own? And I think there's really two overarching reasons. Um, number one, why even bother do something like that when ESPN is doing what they did on March 10th for you and they give you a great lead in. Um, they support your, your, your programming like that. Widen your audience. Like that's, why even bother? But number two and more importantly, it is very difficult to do what the WWE did. And for a long time after they started doing it, it looked like they were making a mistake. I lived through it at HBO and it is much harder for a traditional media company. And this is like HBO or WWE. They have a lot of employees. It is way harder for them to become a tech company than it is for a tech company to become a traditional media company. The tech companies have incredibly advanced algorithms, a huge treasure trove of data 
and they have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the customer and the provider. Traditional media companies do not have that. And really what I mean by that is when I'm at HBO, when I was there and I was marketing fights, even on a pay-per-view basis, but also on a one-to-one -one basis, I don't know the customer. The customer subscribes to, you know, what was Time Warner Cable, what, you know, Spectrum, whatever. Name your cable company. They know the customer. I don't know the customer at HBO. If you work at Netflix, you know the customer. You know when they, you know how long they watch something. You know when they hit pause. You know all the kind of programming they like, the type of programming they like. And the, there are sophisticated algorithms that can indicate to programmers what kind of programming they should buy and how they can serve up similar programming to existing customers that predicts what, based on your viewing history, what they think you will like. This is an incredible advantage, needless to say. And it is much harder to catch up on the technology side. You know, HBO's had issues with it. Other companies have had issues with it. That's why with the Walt Disney Company, that's why you're seeing this as the rollout to it. It's why you're seeing this as the start. And like I said, take advantage of it. It, it is a, ultimately, I think it's going to be a great thing for boxing fans. Certainly in the beginning, I think, I hope you will see all this stuff in 2018. But I, I think that there are a lot of, of things that are at least moving in a positive direction. And in the best case scenario, it could make, by the end of t 2018, make your life a lot better. So let's move into the preview portion. Um, this weekend, HBO has Dillian White fighting Lucas Brown. White about a four to one, three to one, four to one favorite. You know, this is interesting. It's it's HBO shopping at the sales rack, so to speak. And in one sense, I kind of like that they're providing coverage of a solid European fight at a low cost to their budget. It's just sort of like extra boxing to the hardcore fans who are subscribing to HBO for this. It's also just so clearly a play to stay in the Anthony Joshua uh, sweepstakes. And here's the thing, and I, I sort of I've, I got into this on Twitter a little bit. You want this. If it, you know, this isn't just me pumping up my former colleagues. As a boxing fan, you definitely want Anthony Joshua to, to go over to HBO. I've said this before in the podcast, too. HBO's boxing budget will not be affected if Anthony Joshua goes over to HBO. It's going to be incremental money. Basically, what happens is they've already sort of planned out what they want to do with money throughout the year. This is when you go and you get more money to pay for a big star fighter to come over. You put him on the network at first, and you hope that eventually he goes to pay-per-view faster rather than slower, and also... You know, you're hoping that some, you know, maybe he does fight in the U.S. a couple times, but some of his fights are clearly going to be in the U.K. where you'll pay a lesser license fee. This just, this move would reaffirm HBO's commitment to boxing. It would put a bright star with it. 
I don't think it affects the, the Wilder fight being made either. It might cause it to marinate a little bit more, but at the end of the day, that's too big of a fight and there's too much revenue at stake if built properly. And I've gone into this before. Trust me, you want this as consumer. Um, but back to the white-brown fight. These things would drive me crazy when I worked at HBO. They, you know, when they get picked up like this, they, they you don't really have a chance to market the fight correctly. I would always describe it, it's like a fighter being fat going into camp. It's like having a fat camp where all you're doing is is just trying to lose the weight so you, so you get to the fight in shape. Um, you know, like looking like you're in shape. It's the same thing. It's you, there, There's so many things to do to market a fight when you get this little notice. You can't really create any kind of assets to promote it online effectively. You can't really get anybody excited about it. And virtually always, they're, they're overseas fights, which traditional media in the United States doesn't really cover it that well. It's at a weird time, usually. You just, you, it's, you're not setting yourself up for success. But it still goes back to what I mentioned at, at, at first in this part. Look, it's a low cost to the budget, and it's extra boxing for the hardcore fans. And this might actually be a really good fight. It's, it's fairly well matched. These guys aren't the greatest athletes in the world as heavyweight fighters, but it's a fairly well matched fight. Moving on, March 31st, Showtime has Anthony Joshua fighting Joseph Parker. I've talked about this fight extensively. I think it's an incredible fight. I don't think it's quite as good as Wilder Ortiz, um, but it certainly could be. Both fighters have great chins, they have defensive weaknesses, and they have serious power. Anthony Joshua's like an 8-1 to favorite, though. Uh, most boxing experts especially those you know, technical boxing experts, consider him a prohibitive favorite. That 8 or 9 to 1 might be just because there's so many people in the United Kingdom betting on him. But I think, you know, I, I do think Joseph Parker has a legitimate chance here. You know, but, but AJ's still the big favorite. Both fighters here, they have, you know, I, they don't have multiple paths to victory, actually. I'll... I'll I'll say that, but they do have a lot of options in the future to make great money. So it's exciting from that point of view too. That you know, this is clearly the division where you're going to see the biggest global fights. Uh, Parker's from New Zealand, Anthony Joshua's UK, Wilder's in the US. You got fighters all over the place, and I've gone over Anthony Joshua's career options in the past, and you know. This, I think this is the last fight on his Showtime contract. It's approaching the end of his contract with Eddie Hearn. There's all kinds of rumors of where he could go for, for both from a promoter and from a network standpoint. It's a huge moment in his career. So not only is this going to be a great fight, and it's the second great heavyweight fight of the month, especially with you know, counting Wilder Ortiz. This is sort of the prelude to a great behind-the-scenes business battle that's going to go on. Um, I think, you know, it, it's just, I think it's, it, these events will be, like I said earlier, some of the biggest global events. You're seeing this, 
you're seeing this now in the UK. This harkens back to some of the you know the bigger name fighters. Now maybe they aren't quite as talented as, as the way the heavyweights were in the 1970s, but you're starting to see some of that globalization in terms of yes, they're big fights. They're starting to get big media attention, and there's a lot of money at stake. It's a fun time to be a, a you know a fan of the heavyweight division. I'll go into more depth on this after the fight. I think you know. It'll be a good time to take a look at what's uh, sort of give an update to what's going on. I don't want to focus too much on it. I already did a deep dive on it, but I still think it's a fascinating thing to look at. What happens to the winner of this fight? Where they go from here, and and when that Deontay Wilder fight can be made. Um, look, that's all for this week. I'm working hard to make some improvements to the podcast. Hopefully, uh, they will be evident in the next episode or two. Um, I'll be tweeting, but uh, look, the month of April is, is not going to, I think that's going to be the month where we go back to the usual uh, boxing sort of cringeworthy fight, little negative attitude. I try to keep it positive here, but <laughs> that's going to be not too many great fights in April. So enjoy this one. You know, two weeks from now, I guess enjoy the HBO fight too. It actually should probably be a good fight. The month of March has been great. Um, it reminds you why it's great to be a good, you know, great to be a boxing fan. I love it. Lots of exciting stuff happening outside the sport. And uh, and bye. I'll talk to you guys in two weeks.